Best Western made booking our family beach vacation a breeze, and it felt a little like... <laughs> Time to go. Okay, kids, back in the room. Good night. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western. Start your electric journey right here, right now. With a Volvo XC90 Recharge, our plug-in hybrid SUV with extended range. For more everyday electric journeys on a single charge, with a hybrid option for longer adventures. Contact your local retailer to book a test drive or design your own vehicle at volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC90 Recharge Plug-in Hybrid. The electric car with a backup plan. listener production. During one of my kids' soccer practices each week, I watch a group of about 50 boys and girls aged around 5 to 12 in training. Now, there's this one child, they're around nine years old, who I cannot for the life of me tell if they're a boy or a girl. They've got long hair and a feminine-looking face, but their mannerisms are more similar to my son's and his male friend's. They are extremely talented at soccer, but they're also prone to big violent outbursts. The coach is routinely having to send them off the field to cool down. Now, I've told myself that it doesn't really matter what their gender is, and honestly, I really don't care, but I just can't help each week being intrigued by this child, trying to work them out, and also trying to work their behaviours out. This is Healthy Her with Amelia Phillips. According to research, gender stereotypes have been shown to perpetuate inequality and reinforce differences between men and women, rather than viewing individuals as people first and equals. Stereotypes can put pressure on boys and girls to conform to certain ideas of masculinity and femininity, which can potentially limit and restrict young children. These stereotypes influence the activities that kids engage in, their interests and skills, and ultimately even the roles that they take on in society as adults. Yet, trying not to fall into the trap of gender stereotyping is challenging, even if our intentions are there. Dr. Kyle Myers is an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Utah. She has a PhD in sociology, researches gender studies, has presented a popular TEDx talk on gender equality and is the author of Raising Them, a book about gender creative parenting. Dr. Kyle, beaming in from Canberra, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Amelia. Now, many people feel comfortable in their gender. So does challenging gender stereotypes mean that we need to lose or muddy the waters of our identity? Hmm. I think that that's a great question. And I think one of the, maybe the misconceptions about gender creative parenting or the work that I do, you know, that's related to this gender revolution is that we're not trying to eliminate gender, right? We're not trying to make anybody who feels comfortable in their gender, like backtrack and not be able to be that. I think one of the things that's just most important that we're trying to push is just just to help people recognize that there's more to gender than a binary of being a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. There's non-binary people. There's also so much more to what it means to be a woman, right? And that there's so much diversity among 
people of the same gender. And so really it's meant to be a, a loving and positive yeah. movement yeah. and not trying to challenge anybody of like, now prove to me why you're a woman and tell me why. Like that is absolutely not what we're doing. It's yeah. it's really about helping people think critically about it. Even if you're so comfortable in your own gender, being able to critically and lovingly interrogate your own gender identity and ask the questions of why do I, you know, have the behaviors that I do, the habits that I do, the style that I do, mm. you know, like being able to ask yourself those questions or can actually be really fun, you know, and not necessarily yeah. muddying the waters, but can be pretty liberating to be able to explore like, well, do I do this because I was born in the 80s and this is what girls were told to do. And or, so in the just, 70s, Kyle, or the 70s, Or the 70s or the 60s or, <laughs> you know, whenever. Or the 90s or whatever. That just, yeah, just really, do I do these things because I was told to do them? Or do I do these things because they genuinely make me happy? And I think that that's a good thing to grapple with. Well, you just mentioned the gender revolution. Talk to me about what you mean by that. And I've heard you talk about the alpha generation coming up. That's people born after, is it 2010? Yeah. Yeah, what do you mean by this gender revolution? Yeah, well, I think that we have seen with gender, it comes a long way and there's been a lot of exponential growth, right? Like if you look from decade to decade to decade, gender performances, gender norms don't remain static throughout the whole thing. Like if we look at our mothers, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, the way that we have done femininity or what we have been able to do has drastically changed, you know, over the centuries. Oh yeah, yeah. From much more rigid, you know, in the 60s and you had the stay-at-home woman and if someone went to work, it was, oh my goodness, so shocking for a woman to work. It's been a lot more relaxing of those boundaries. Oh, big time. Like in just a in just a matter of a few generations, we have gone from women not even being able to vote to women being leaders of nations. Yeah. There's been exponential growth that has happened when it comes to what people can do because of their gender, because of their sex, because of their body, because of whatever roles, you know, our, our cultures have decided um, people need to perform. But also as far as the gender revolution goes, the way that I've been thinking about it is just even in the last decade, it's been really incredible to see how a different level, like this acknowledgement of non-binary people, right? More affirmation and love and support for transgender people and just more acknowledgement of gender diversity and, you know, the the normalization of they, them pronouns. Like that's come such a long way in even just a few years, the visibility of gender diverse people in media and music and news. And so it's just been really incredible. And what we're seeing with younger generations, younger, you know, adolescents and children is that they're really distancing themselves from a lot of gender stereotypes. And I think that comes in part because a lot of them are being raised by millennial parents or have Gen Z siblings or cousins. And so there's a lot of people who are pushing against gender stereotypes and really trying to fight for gender equality. And so it gives children just so much more freedom to play with gender and not be so restricted to binary norms of what, you know, like might typically be thought of as being stereotypical for a boy or a girl and what's appropriate for them. There's a lot more flexibility in play. And so you see a lot more kids saying, you know, I, I'm trans, I'm non-binary, or I'm a tomboy, or right, like I'm a boy who loves ballet and that all of those things are valued and celebrated. 
Well, let's talk about your interesting journey because you're leading the way when it comes to this. When you fell pregnant, you and your husband Brent decided to raise your child without an assigned gender or gender-creative parenting as you've called it. Instead, you would wait until they were ready to assign themselves a gender. I just find this wild. Whilst many have been very supportive of your decision, you also received your fair share of criticism. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Yeah. So my child Zoomer was born in 2016. And so for the first four years of Zoomer's life, we we used they, them pronouns and we didn't use words like daughter or son. We just used kid or baby or Zoomer. And we were just really giving Zoomer the space to explore gender and let us know what their identity was and the pronouns that they wanted to use. And around Zoomer's fourth birthday, he told us like, I love he, him pronouns, you know, and he identifies as a boy. And we're like, that's awesome. And really, um, of course, enthusiastically support him in his own identity. But we we have been lucky to have a lot of support. We're very privileged um, to be able to have have had so much support. Um, we did receive our fair share of criticism. I was featured in a New York Magazine article in 2018, and it just unleashed a viral media hoopla kerfluffle and and really you know I mean like the trolls came from every corner of the globe to let us know what they thought about our parenting decision which is overwhelming. (laughs) It's so fascinating in the parenting wars how people have such a visceral reaction to something like this because it is out there let's let's face it it is you know it's the first time I had heard of it happening but I think it's fantastic because it is paving the way but even I myself, I was so intrigued by your story that I found myself sitting there like scrolling through your Insta and trying to work out, this was before Zuma, you know, did identify, trying to work out which biological gender Zuma was. You know, why do you think some people like me and like my story at the start of our chat today, why do we feel either uneasy or just curious about not knowing a child's gender? Like there's this kind of this visceral desire to want to know, is this person a boy or a girl? Mm. Why is that? So as humans, we do a lot of sorting, right? Like we're, we're constantly do, looking yes. at things and we make so many, we make thousands of decisions a day, right? Like, is this edible? Yep. Is this poisonous? Is this yep. safe? Is this dangerous? And we do the same thing with humans. And a really big thing that has, you know, become ingrained into our unconscious thinking and conscious thinking is wanting to know how to treat people and stereotypes and bias and gender norms are so ingrained in our bias and subconscious and the way we operate in the world. We want to look at somebody and we want a lot of visual cues so we know how to treat them. Yeah. It's putting someone in their box. Totally. Right. Like you want to see a kid, you want to know, okay, like, should I call them pretty or handsome? Should Mm. I, you know, see if they want to play with dinosaurs or dolls? And therein lies the problem. Mm. We have these expectations and restrictions for kids based on totally socially constructed Mm. gender stereotypes. And then our kids really only get half of the world. And so I think that it's just human nature to really, you know, want to know something and to look for cues to be able to like tap into our script of how do I treat you? How do I engage with you? What do I do? How do I play with you? And gender is really one of those huge 
things, right? Of like of of how we want to treat a person. And so unfortunately, it's one of those things where someone's like, well, I need to know what the sex of your baby is. I need to know. Mm. So I know how to like engage with them. And that's so unfair that like we feel like we need to have these binary labels to be able to love someone or or engage with them. And, and that's really what this is trying to push, right? Of like, well, couldn't you just treat my child like a kid yeah. and give them all the adjectives and all the toys and all the options? So I guess what I'm trying to understand is that curiosity or unease that people may feel, is that something that, say, in the alpha generation is just not going to be there? They're just they're not going to care. You know, it's it's a sign of our times because us oldies are still so ingrained. Mm. Is that the aim that we just won't care anymore? I don't know. I think that I think generation alpha still cares and I think that they're being taught to care. Our our media is so binary, our culture is quite binary. They are being talked about as like are you a boy or a girl? Instead of like, what gender are you out of all the infinite possibilities of gender, right? Like there's so many more non-binary kids today, like visibly than there were five years ago. And so just really, I think that kids still care about gender and binary gender and stereotypes because so much of how they're being taught about the world is still pushing that. Yeah. But I do think that these younger generations are explicitly caring less about it and like explicitly pushing back on it. And like, mm-hmm. they're the ones who are advocating for change, right? Advocating for school uniforms to be unisex and like everybody could wear whatever they want. Like girls should be able to wear pants. And if a boy wants to wear a skirt, then he should, like, right? Like just, I think that there's a lot of advocacy that's coming out of these younger generations, which is really incredible. Yeah, and I guess coming from a place of fear for parents, particularly as their kids reach those teenage years or you know, teenagehood is such a such a confusing time for children. Is this just going to make them even more confused and they're going to make life decisions that set them up in a way? And it's that thought process that I think parents have mm-hmm. that stems from a place of fear. Yeah, I get that. And I think that the fear, though, can be diluted with just understanding and education, like knowing someone who's non-binary, knowing someone who's intersex, knowing someone who's trans, like knowing someone who's queer, like knowing people and learning their stories and seeing their humanity is so humanizing. And I think that can really kind of help soothe that unease, you know, that like we all went through it as teenagers. We were trying different clothes on, trying different identities, like, you know, taking risks and stuff and just being able to show up as a parent in being able to set those boundaries of like, okay, I'm your parent and like these are the house rules. But being able to say, you know, if you want to wear something that like maybe I don't love that you want to wear, like it's not doing anyone any harm, right? And I can support you in that and maybe actually kind of gently being that cushion, I actually think makes kids rebel less, you know? like Yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) And then they'll come to their parents more. Like it's the people who feel like, oh, my parents will kill me if they find out I'm having sex. My parents would kill me if they Mm -hmm. found out I was drinking at a party. My parents, like, they're the ones who are, the kids have fear too. So I think kind of creating a culture in your household that's like, I'm down to learn. I want to support you. I want you to be able to talk to me, you know, if something's going on, can actually create a really safe space for a lot of exploration. And kids exploring their gender can have even better outcomes because they know their parents love them. Yeah. 
And I think also as a parent, knowing that we are moving into a society that is so much more gender inclusive, that, you know, it's not like the old days where if someone showed an interest in the same sex, they might be ostracised or Mm. beaten or even worse. But there's a gap I'd love you to help me bridge here. Most of us feel super impassioned about having more gender equality in society. You know, especially when you read stats like women are paid 16% less than men, less than a quarter of board directorships are held by women, only a third of federal parliamentarians are women. There's very few people that would argue with how disappointing those stats are and how things need to change. But what I believe some people struggle with is bridging that gap between these sorts of figures and gender equality as adults And if that's actually related to whether we dress our little girls in pink or our boys in blue, Mm. I have to admit that after Lockie was my firstborn boy and when Charlotte came along, I reveled in putting pink ribbons in her hair and all that sort of stuff. Can you help explain how those two are inextricably linked? Sure. So gender socialization is really critical to how we become shaped as humans. And so we can see these, I like to call it in like kind of the example of like breadcrumbs, you know, like I can see these breadcrumbs from maybe these adulthood outcomes and like women being paid less. And then you can creep back and see these crumbs back into childhood. Yeah. So one of the things with gender socialization in childhood is the toys that kids are given. And toys are actually really critical for children to learn skills, like life skills, Mm. right? Like whether it's fine motor skills, whether it's empathy, whether it's spatial awareness. And so the types of toys kids have can really influence the types of interests that they're going to develop and then essentially the type of careers that they have. And so if boys are given the robotics, the engineering, the computer coding, like all of these Lego bricks, then of course they're going to be more likely to become engineers because they had these building blocks to Mm. kind of set up this interest for them. If girls are always given kitchen sets and dolls, like we can't be surprised if they're going to go into early childhood education or, Mm. and all those things are good, right? Like it's, oh, Mm. it's, it's fine for girls to, you know, want to grow up to be early childhood educators and boys to be engineers. But a way that we can hack this is making sure girls also have the chemistry sets and the robotics toys and that boys also have the dolls and because it it actually helps give them some well-rounded life skills and then sets them up to be able to see if they have some potential talent, you know, that they can then really ignite. And so there's there's all of these different things that I can see absolutely linked to how we treat children and teenagers and then, you know, either how they're either hindered or set up for success in, in specific areas. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And it's funny with my daughter, Charlotte, who in researching today's episode, I was thinking, oh, I think I've done a pretty good job, you know, and I live in a very sort of inclusive environment, even though she does wear a bit more pink than the boys. But then I was trying to put together a mountain biking team that included Charlotte the other day. And I realized that there were absolutely no girls in her vicinity that had a mountain bike. It needed to have gears for this particular mountain bike. And I realized that, oh my goodness, there's no girls around here. I've got 15 boys' names, but no girls volunteered to join this mountain biking group. And I thought, well, there you go. Like even in a progressive society, it's all the boys that were out there. Mm. I want to touch on violence against women for a moment because evidence shows that levels of violence against women are significantly higher in relationships where there are more rigid distinctions between the roles of men and women. Mm. 
In fact, what I find fascinating is the early childhood Australia submission into the Royal Commission into Family Violence highlighted the important role that the early childhood sector plays in preventing violence against women. Hmm. And that's through building awareness of gender stereotyping and encouraging respectful relationships in young people in preschool and the school environments as well. What are some of the other benefits of a more gender equal society? That's a great and huge question. Um, but you know, it, it, there's so many benefits, right? Like I can't see any downsides of a, of a more gender equal society, right? Where people are given respect, where people are um, celebrated for wherever they land upon the gender spectrum, however they want to identify, that opportunities are given to everybody. That if somebody has a baby or becomes a new parent, it's not just a birthing parent or a mother who gets paid time off that that dads are supported in that and that they can take the time to to bond with their child. And if they, you know, really want to be a stay-at-home parent, that they're supported in that too. So I just think there's just so I see no downsides of a gender equal society, you know, to be able to help people really meet their potential mm-hmm. and and live the most like authentic and fulfilling lives possible um, with with respect, you know, with, with each other. I mean, I grew up in the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is known as the Mormon Church. And it is an incredibly binary, or it was, you know, when I was being raised in it in the 80s and 90s, it's a very binary culture. And I was taught from a very early age that my destiny was to marry a man and become a mother and mm-hmm. be a homemaker and that I should be completely fulfilled by that. And that kind of comes into what you were talking about earlier here of like these rigid distinctions that like I was never encouraged to go to college. I was never encouraged to find a career or a passion. Mm. Like I was just always told that my my duty on this planet was to just be someone's wife and mother. And for a lot of people, of course, being a wife and a mother are great parts of their identity. But to be taught for decades yeah. that that's what your worth is, that, that that can be really problematic for girls and women to be able to feel like that they have some agency yeah. and can form their own path and decide whether or not they want to be in a relationship or whether they want to be in a relationship with a man or whether or not they want to have kids Mm -hmm. that doesn't have to make them more or less valuable, which is really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. You've gone to the extreme as far as choosing not to assign a gender to your child. Do you think you can still be promoting and encouraging an equal gender society, but dressing your girls in pink and your boys in blue? Like, is there sort of a happy balance where you can still revel in that, but be supportive of this gender revolution? Well, I think people, right, like there can be people who assigned a gender to their child, but I think just because you assign a gender to your child doesn't mean that you're also assigning only half of the clothes. Like, I I think a lot more girls need to be dressed in clothes that are marketed to boys because they tend to be more durable. They tend to, you know, actually be more conducive to climbing trees and going around. And yeah. like by all means, if if a girl likes to have a bow in her hair, fantastic. But I'd also invite parents to say, why don't you put your son in pink? Why don't you, you know, go shopping in the section that's marketed to girls and like maybe you could put your son in a shirt that has a sparkly unicorn on it. And mm-hmm. and if parents start to bristle and feel uncomfortable about that, like sit with that, right? And really grapple with that. Yeah. Like is this because you're afraid that if you put your child your your boy in some sparkly leggings that he's <laughs> going to be gay? 
And A, we have no evidence that actually like dressing your ch- boy child in clothes that are marketed to girls have any impact on his sexuality, right? No. Like if you're gay, you're gay, you're gay. Uh, but but being able to grapple with that of like, why is there this homophobia in childhood? Like well, what is it that makes us so uncomfortable? Like the idea of a boy who might have um, characteristics that are often more attributed as like feminine or girly when there's so much freedom for girls to cross this arbitrary boundary of into boyhood Mm. or like things that are, you know, kind of classified as for boys. Like they're really, for us to have an equal society, there has to be as much encouragement, permission, celebration for boys crossing this arbitrary line over into things that are, you know, considered girly. That is such a good distinction. And I had a real life example this morning when I sent my five-year-old to preschool, Angus, and he wanted his hair plaited like his sister and he had three little plaits in his hair. And my eight-year-old came up and said, you look like a girl. Mm. And I I said, excuse me, <laughs> especially after knowing I was chatting to you today. And I said, that's really disrespectful. And he said, I didn't mean it in a bad way. I'm just saying you look like a girl. And and I had this, but do you see that as a negative thing? And he was like being defensive saying, no, I don't, I don't. But I do think that it did come from a place of teasing. Mm, mm-hmm. And I thought, gosh, he's only eight. And I thought we were being pretty good. <laughs> so Well, and you can be being good. I'm sure you are being good, Amelia. Like it, it comes from all angles. Yeah. Like I... I am like one of the pioneering trailblazers of the gender creative parenting movement. And I still have a kid who's like, so is short hair, short hairs for boys, right? Right. Because (laughs) the media is teaching us that, right? Like their peers are teaching us that teachers, every book character, like there has to be more diversity in what kids look like, you you know, to be able to go, like if your son, if your eight year old had, has seen dozens and dozens and dozens of boys in his life with long hair who are who are braiding it he he wouldn't be drawing that distinction as much right so it's not so much about you it's the fact that just culturally we're moving but we're not moving fast enough you mm-hmm. know to be able to teach our kids that no hair has no gender yeah, clothes it, have no gender you just get to do yeah. whatever you want <laughs> Let's talk about some of these top tips for avoiding gender stereotyping that we as parents can do either unconsciously or consciously. What what are some of the things that we can do or be aware of with our families? So I think one of the biggest things is just letting kids play with it all mm-hmm. and giving kids the opportunity and options and choices to be able to be exposed to it all. You know, like you can dress kids who are in different genders in the same clothes, like hand-me-downs. And so I think that is a really important thing of just like how you're teaching your children about these codes. Um, I think that that's just a really important thing. Just listening to your kids, narrating, counter-stereotyping is so important, you know, with... um, being able to, the counter stereotype is just exactly what it is, right? Like reversing a stereotype. And so being able to say like, daddies are so good at taking care of little babies because so often dads are thrown under the bus as being like second, you know, Mm -hmm. secondary, these like hopeless parents. And that's just not true. And so I think being able to counter stereotype whenever you can and also really check your language of, is it binary? Is it like, are you saying boys and girls or are you saying, you know, hey, friends and and kids to be able to include the space for um, gender diverse kids and non-binary kids? So there's, I mean, I, there's just, 
oh gosh, I could go on and mm-hmm. on and on and on, you know, about things that we can do. But I just think the first step is just letting yourself wake up to seeing gender stereotypes. Yeah. And like what you're doing. And and I think a lot of people are doing it just like see that because once you start seeing it, I've actually found that it's kind of like this domino effect and you can't unsee it, mm. you know, of like, why is everything, why are bed sheets so gendered? You know, why yeah. are, why is kids toothpaste gendered? Like yep. starting to ask those questions and then being an advocate for, you know, getting companies to change it. I think that books are really interesting. We read so many books to our kids and Googling some more gender equal books, particularly the modern books out there, would be a great place to start as well because then at least you can see that behavior modeled or maybe even challenging some of the classics that we've read. Yeah. You know, because I love reading the classics to my kids, but you, you do realize that there are some crazy stereotypes in there. Oh, definitely. You could maybe challenge that as well. Definitely, definitely. And and getting kids on board with like, I ask Zoomer a lot in, in play. Play is such an incredible opportunity to teach kids about gender diversity. And so even in just play, you know, we're playing Lego and and I'll grab two girl Legos and go, and these are the two mommies and this is their baby, right? And so you can start to normalize same-sex partnerships. You can normalize a woman fire chief. You can normalize, you know, like a man preschool teacher. And so play is just a really cool opportunity. And with books, being able to, like, we actually see there's just all of this evidence that there are so many more male characters in in books. And they're also like way more often the, the hero or the protagonist, right? Oh, I know. I've read that study. It's so scary. Yeah. And it's, and so being able to I don't think we need to be hiding this from our kids. I actually think getting them involved going, oh, you know what? There's a lot of he, him pronouns in this book. Could we maybe make the spider use she, her pronouns? And then maybe the fox uses they, them pronouns, you know? And then then you're just kind of getting your child on board to just like normalize the fact that we can't always be having this like male superiority bias of defaulting to he, him all the time. And I think it, it that really helps rewire kids' brains to be much more um, gender inclusive. Finally, Kyle, for a parent who wants to reduce that amount of gender stereotyping in their kid's life, what's the one kind of parting message you'd love to leave with them that will hopefully have the most impact? Mm. My advice, I guess, is just to really come from a place of love instead of fear um, when it comes to gender stereotypes, that we're really trying to raise healthy, happy children and being able to follow their lead in an affirming way and and really support them and what their interests are, even if they run counter to what you were hoping their interests would be mm-hmm. or hoping that they'd have your interests. That just really coming from this place of support and love is so critical for children's mental health and self-esteem. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what we want yep. as parents is we want our we want our kids to feel healthy and happy and loved. And so I think that that really encompasses everything around gender stereotyping and gender identity and expression of just really helping your kids navigate this awesome, huge, never-ending buffet <laughs> of gender and really follow their lead to what what makes them happy. 
I love that. We're celebrating the individuality of the child rather than trying to put them in a specific box or stereotype. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kyle. Thanks, Amelia. Healthy Her was presented by me, Amelia Phillips. Producer, Tina Matalov. Theme music composed by Matthew Dwyer. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. For more tips and insights on this topic, visit my show notes at ameliaphillips.com.au. If you like my podcast or think other mums might find it helpful, please spread the word by sharing a link to your network of fellow mums. And feel free to drop me a line on Instagram anytime. I'd love to hear from you. Listener. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.